it's the week of, of Parshas Bo. We get, this is going to be called Free Will. It's really going to be dedicated to really understanding the Kabbalistic genre of exactly what Free Will is. But let's just start off with a little intro before that. Just on the very letters of this week. Cedra, as you know, Bo, which means to come. The numerical value three, referring also to the three of the last 10 plagues in this week's story. So this week's Torah section is referring to the, the last three plagues. It's, you know, the story of the Jewish people leaving Egypt. And the verse says the following. It says, Hashem said to Moshe, Bo el paro, come to Pharaoh. What's up, Iris? Come to Pharaoh. Come to Pharaoh. So what's the obvious problem there, everybody? There's an obvious problem. What's the obvious problem? And the Zohar, B'Shemon Bayochai, points it out beautifully. The problem is it should have said, Vayem Hashem al-Moshe leich al paro, go to Pharaoh. Should have said go. Should have said go. What does it mean, come to Pharaoh? Normally, if you go and send someone on a mission, you say go. And Hashem said to Abraham, Lech lecha, go to Israel. And many times Hashem says, Lech to Moshe. Why over here does it say Bo? Explains the Zohar. And it's a beautiful insight into life. Sometimes... The relationship between us and Hashem is one of a leich and sometimes is one of a bow. What does that mean? Leich essentially means, Hashem says, I'm backing out. You've got to go and do the work, guys. Go do the work. You've got work to do. And you're kind of on your own with your free will and it's your free will. And Kabbalah, we call it Isrusa de Latata, the inspiration from below, that you've got to put the work in. Right, right now, during this pandemic it's definitely a time of lech it's a time when it seems we're all by ourselves it seems where we've got this lonely mission to go and achieve that's the lech but then there's the time of bo because bo means when do you say come to someone you say come with me when you're going yourself so for example for my dear friends in tel aviv if you got over there with, with your roommate and you're saying you say, come with me to the shops when you're going. If you're sending someone on a mission, you say, go. But if you're going with, you say, come. We're going together. So and that's what happened. Hashem was so with Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. As you know, the mystics explain when Moshe went to Pharaoh, it was actually Hashem himself speaking. In other words, the level of Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't just a normal Prophet. He wasn't just a normal messenger. As the mystics put, put it, he was the message, not the messenger. He would open up his mouth and Hashem would speak through his voice, through his throat. And essentially, Hashem was doing the work. And that's the other phase in life. That sometimes in life, actually, you're meant to actually kind of stand back, hold on to Hashem, and Hashem will take you for a ride. Like when we came out of Egypt. Like maybe there's been other phases of your life, which is called when you've got this huge, crazy inspiration, maybe that time when amazing things just keep coming to you, you know, you just fall in love and this, you know, the love of your life just comes in your direction or in business, great things are just coming to you where you're almost doing nothing, you're just trying to get, not get out of the way and you're being like a magnet for blessing, that's when Hashem's doing the work, that's the, that's the phase of Bo and that will lead us really into free will because we need to define what is the role of free will. And the way we'll do that is from the catalyst for our discussion. 
will be the end of the first verse in this week. So if you look at the verse, it says, Hashem says to Moshe, come to Pharaoh. And then God says, Ki ani hichbatati et libo. For I, God, have hardened Pharaoh's heart. God, Hashem, absolutely admits to the fact, doesn't hide the fact, that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? You see, there are many, many questions with this problem. Question number one. Does that mean by hardening Pharaoh's heart that he essentially took away his free will? He made him essentially a puppet. So really, the following event happened. God says to Moses, okay, we've got to get the Jewish people out of Egypt. We need Pharaoh to let the people go. So we're going and making the plagues to induce him, to inspire Pharaoh to kind of get the message that he's not God, that I'm God after all, and he's going to let the Jewish people go. And it seems that what happens when God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, that what essentially Hashem is doing, he's not giving Paro an opportunity to choose one way or the other. He's not giving Paro the true opportunity to genuinely say, okay, the Jewish people, you can go now. I, I, I'm doing Teshuva. I'm repenting. I'm sorry. I really got it wrong. I'm really not God. Hashem is, is, is God and, and I'm nothing. And the people can go. They're Hashem's people. It seems that Hashem isn't giving Paro the opportunity to do that. He's kind of taking the, the rug from his feet and he's withholding from him the opportunity to repent. He's withholding him the, the free will. He's taking away his free will, it seems. And therefore, how is that a fair, just, God is meant to be just, the more that Hashem is punishing him for seemingly something that wasn't his fault. He's making Paro be stubborn. He's making Paro be hard-nosed. He's making Paro say the Jewish people can't leave Egypt. And then, Noch, he's punishing him for that which almost God made him do. How is that fair? How's that fair? Why can't Paro in, in the world of truth go to Hashem and storm into the office and say, I'm suing you, Hashem. That's it. We're done. How dare you punish me for something that I didn't even do? Good question. You like the question? And more, more than that, I think it's kind of a waste of resources. God's sending Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, two very, very busy holy tzaddikim, to get a job done, to try and persuade Paro to change his mind when Hashem knows all along and he's even telling Moshe, and by the way, he's not going to change his mind. I'm not going to let him to change his mind. What's going on? It's like a charade. It's, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. So this is your opportunity. Anybody, anybody want to message me some answers? Did Paro have free will? Yes or no? Anyone know anything about it? This is your chance. Let's hear from you a second. What do you think? And how is it fair? You know, God is fair. He's just. And he's punishing them with the most terrible... It's not like giving someone lines or his attention. This is like the worst punishment ever, right? The 10 plagues were not pleasant. They were not pleasant as we know what coronavirus is, right? That's, not, that's horrific. It was even more horrific, those 10 plagues. Even more horrific. There was death, destruction, agony... So how can Hashem in his justice be giving people punishments for now, it seems, something he didn't even do. He didn't even do anything wrong, seemingly. So what do you say, anyone? Anyone like to, to put a comment in? This is your chance, guys. Give me a comment. Why do you, th how you think, what's actually happening? What's actually happening? So, so why do you think about what to comment?
Let's start with the story of exactly, let's define free will. Let's really understand it. Let, let's see what the, the Torah says about it. And then once we've really understood and grasped the concept of free will, we'll go back to Paro. Is that all right, everyone? Okay, so Batsheva is saying he didn't have free will, so you're going for the no free will. The problem with that, Batsheva, is it's that seemingly unfair. God is fair. He is he's super, he's super fair. He's the fairest of them all and the just. Even when someone passes away, we say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. He's the judge of truth. This doesn't seem something just, ostensibly. Anyone else like to comment? So here we go. You know, what is free will? So I'd like to do it really through the lenses of one of um, the great Torah scholars of the past hundred years, who's one of my favorites, who I highly recommend. If you haven't got the book, you get his book, like now, tonight. His book in Hebrew is called Mikhtab Meliau, in English, Strive for Truth. And it's awesome if you like this kind of stuff. Jewish philosophy, mysticism, inspiration. He's kind of one of the best in the world at it. The, the great Reverend Dr. Akiva Tatz, I believe a lot of the material is also originating from Riv Dessler as well. And I really recommend you look at it. And here's, here's what Rabbi Dessler says about free will, in a sense. And if you look at this in chapter two of Mechta Meliau, he's got a whole Torah of what is free will. Here we go. What is free will? How do we define free will? How do we define free will? First of all, let's define it. And Rabbi Dessler asked the question. And then we'll try and give some evidence that we improve that we have free will in a moment. But like, what is it that we're going to prove? What is free will? Here we go. And this is where it gets a little bit complicated straight away. Ask Rav Dester a question. Surely, free will shouldn't even work. Because as you know, there's these two voices inside us, right? We have our lower voice, our Yitzhahara, our inclination for bad, our body, which is magnetically drawn towards earthliness and physicality and animalism. And we have this Yitzhahara voice, which I hope isn't in your head right now. I hope now, Mitzvah Shem, now we're tuning in. Come on, let's tune in together. It's like mute your Yitzhahara. If you've got other screens going on or other stuff going on, Let's like take that away now and come and let's join with me. Come on, let's have a, please God, 60 minutes of pure, pure, unadulterated, delicious, gorgeous, spiritual, holy Torah and let nothing else in. And then if you do that, we're taught the Itzahara can't get in. It's almost like the Itzahara, the Kliyoko says is like a fly who's like waiting by the window, waiting to get in, waiting for a crack to appear. And when you learn Torah, Barasi Yitzhahara, Barasi Torah Tavlin, learning Torah, it's one of the greatest ways that the, the Yitzhahara can't get in. So let's try and really focus and, and, and not let the Yitzhahara in. So, but when you woke up in the morning, maybe the Yitzhahara was awake and said, hey, I want to go to sleep. Let's go back to sleep. You ever have that? You wake up in the morning and the Yitzhahara says, calm, it's cold out there, it's dark. You don't have to get up now. Let's go back to sleep. What's up, Josh? Nice to see you. That's the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara is that voice, by the way, any of you ever gone shopping when you're hungry for food? Bad mistake if you do that. Because all of a sudden you think you want to buy the shop out because your Yitzhahara is almost choosing the menu. Because when you're like hungry, then you have no sense of reality and, and you think you can eat up the shop. So, so if you want to save some money next time, don't actually shop when you're hungry because then the Yitzhahara is almost in charge of the credit card. So 
I'm sure you all know your Yitzhahara, whatever that is, whether it's when there's anger building up, when there's jealousy, when there's selfishness, when there's, you know, doing things that God doesn't want us to do. That's when the Yitzhahara wakes up. So on one hand, we have the Yitzhahara. On the other hand, we have, see my hands here? We have the Yitzhatov, the good inclination. Who's the good inclination? Do you all know your good inclination? It's that beautiful voice. It's that pure voice. It's that soul voice. You all have a soul. And that soul emanates a voice, the voice of reason, the voice of good, the voice which says, oh, you should really be listening to Rabbi Hill tonight, even though there's other things, but come on, it's good, you know, we could do with some Torah, there's a pandemic outside, all the more reason to try and, and get some mitzvahs in. You know that voice, that voice that when you wake up in the morning and your Yitzhahara says, let's go to sleep, and then your Yitzhatov comes and says, come on, yalla, so much to do today. You know, that voice where you go past someone homeless and you've got the Yitzhahara saying, Ugh, you know, why should I bother? But then the Yitzhatov is saying, come on, it's a good thing. You know, we're here to share. Thank God you do have a job and you do have, you know, something. And Hashem's given you such a beautiful job with a wage for the reason to give charity. So actually, when you see someone homeless, it's an opportunity to do a mitzvah as opposed to not an opportunity to like walk the other way. So you all know that Yitzhahara. So when you hear that Yitzhahara, Sorry, the Yitzhatov, the good inclination. And you're hearing the Yitzhahara. So it's almost like you're driving in a car. You're driving in a car and you've got on one hand ways saying, go right. This is the right way to go through this route. And then you've got Google Maps saying, turn left. So you've got these two sat-navs trying to direct you and navigate you to the right place. So So then who the heck are you? Who are you? And how can you even make a decision? If, if we are essentially a composite of opposites, we shouldn't be able to make a decision. All that really happens is the strong, overwhelming pull will win whatever is the more rational pull, ostensibly. Right? Whatever be the strong, it's like a magnet. Whatever be the more forceful magnet will be the one that the magnet will, will move and, and react and magnetically be drawn towards. But yet, as you all know, that's not what happens. And this is the genius of it. Are you ready for some Kabbalah? In Kabbalah we taught that you're actually not your lower self and you're not your higher self. They are kind of two friends that Hashem has given you to help you have free will. Your free will is what we call, Ravdesta calls the third contending will. You have a third voice. The third voice is you. In Hebrew, we call it the Ratzon. It's your desire. It's your individual desire. So we've got Josh there. So Josh, you've got your lower self. That's not you. That's your Yitzhara. You've got your higher self. Kind of, that's the God in you. Who are you? You are the voice that hears both decisions. And then ultimately, you will make a decision based on the advice given. So the dogma, if you're driving in the car and, and Waze is saying turn right and Google Maps is saying turn left, you are the way you steer the wheel. Are you going to go right or are you going to go left? That's you. It's almost like you've got these two friends and they're advising you. One is saying do X, one is saying do Y, but ultimately you are going to make the decision. There's this third will, which is fascinating, which is neutral, which is independent and which can literally go one of two ways. It can go one of two ways. It's really fascinating because some of you know I'm, I'm also a life coach and I do a lot of coaching and 
and I get a lot of it from NLP and CBT as well as Kabbalah, but Freud himself, I believe, and, and my rabbi told me in Israel, studied Kabbalah somehow. He got access to Kabbalah because a lot of his material, there's a lot of comparisons and there's a lot of parallels to Kabbalah. And in this case, very much so, because Freud talks about the three voices we have in us, the three facets to us, the child, which in my mashal now I'm going to say is, is the Yitzhara, that childish, immature side to us, the Yitzhatov, which I'm going to say, according to Freud, will be the parent in you, always doing the right thing, that parental voice trying to suggest and advise you to make the right decision. But then there's you, and Freud calls that the adult in you. And we'll say that is, Mamash, that's who you are. You are the consequences of all your choices rooted in your inner desire, which ultimately you'll hear from both voices. So think about it. Have you had times in your life when you've like oscillated spiritually and religiously, when you've had moments when you were there, you were just really wanting to do mitzvot, wanting to get close to Hashem, wanting to say Psalms. So there, but then there were other phases where you're like, what's up, Leila? There were other phases where you're going to be, nah, I'm disconnected. Essentially, what's happened, when you are high spiritually, you are agreeing, you are aligning yourself to the Yitzhah and Hashem. And when we're disconnected, we're aligning ourselves to the Yitzhah, we're aligning ourselves to, to, to the lower self. But ultimately, that's how free will works. And it's a bit of a mystery and it's somewhat of a paradox. And what's really fascinating is it's not going to be that the overwhelming decision is the one you, it's not going to be the more rational decision will be the one you take. And anyone that suffered with addictions will know this, will know that very, very clearly. So for example, you know, Rabbi Tatz always talks about, as his example, when he was a doctor in, in Johannesburg, he came across someone in his hospital who was going to get his, arm amputated. Why? Because he had an illness called Berger's disease. Berger's disease isn't from eating too many burgers. It's actually from smoking where the nicotine, you're so allergic to the nicotine that you need to get your limbs amputated, Rahman al-Litzlan. And he'd already had his legs amputated. He's in a wheelchair and he's now being wheeled in. And one of his arms, his right arm already had been amputated. And he's going in for the other one. And he's now, he, Rabbi Tatz couldn't believe his eyes because he's seeing a wheelchair which has been geared up with an electric, almost arm, a mechanical arm in a way that it can hold his cigarette. He's still addicted to smoking, even though his body is falling apart and he's killing himself, but he can't say no to cigarettes. And he's actually geared up his wheelchair so that he can still smoke. Now, my dear friends, that's not normal. That's illogical. You know, Rabbi Desta says a story of someone in his day who, who was a diabetic, who same thing, he couldn't say no to chocolate and couldn't say no to sugar, even though he was a diabetic, even though, and the way Zietzahara put it to him, oh, it's just, just one, one, one chocolate. How, what's one chocolate today gonna harm? But that one chocolate led to another chocolate, led to another one, and, and Rabbi Desta's friend ended up dead. So how is that possible that someone can make such irrational, decisions, it's because that it's not going to be whatever's the more rational decision is what's going to fuel us. We are genuinely independent. Hashem creates this space where we can hear what's right. 
We can hear what's wrong and we mamash can go either way. And we do go either way. Even though it could kill us. Suicide is the greatest example of that. From someone that does it when, when they're not ill, let's say. They, you know, and, and it's possible to do the most terrific choices, even though it damages yourself and others. And the way we'll talk about that is free will. So in others, you've got these three wills. And, and the, the independent one is you. The lower self isn't you. The higher self isn't you. You are that independent filter in the middle that maybe Freud will call the adult of you. So that's the definition of free will. The question is, next, how do you know it's real? You know, many biologists, scientists will say, nah, what's the rabbi chatting about? We are essentially a consequence of nature and nurture and biology and DNA and there's determinism and essentially people make choices based on their environment and, and their DNA. So how can we prove those, that perspective to be wrong? So the Torah has dealt with this a lot. Let me try and share with you a few proofs. A few proofs. And by the way, determinism is super scary. Many mystics will say that this idea of we don't have free will is the greatest thing the Yitzhahara wants because the Yitzhahara wants you to do every sin under the book. And if the Yitzhahara can say, we don't have free will, and therefore it's not my fault, the Yitzhahara will get you in a flash. What really empowers me, and I'm really hoping it will empower you, the more you understand the power of free will, it gives you such a sense of responsibility to say, wow, I can literally change the world. As the Arizal says, every day, there's a unique opportunity to do something that you could never ever do again. And there's some light in the world that you're meant to illuminate and project and achieve that you'll never ever be able to do again. It will be you, you'll, it'll be your unique potential. And therefore, if we didn't have free will, that couldn't exist. And therefore, it's so empowering, the belief in free will, so empowering. You know, there, there was a, um, a case, Rabbi Tatz talks about, of, of some guys in Harlem that they went and they were in one of the big parks in New York and they beat up and murdered the, this young girl. And then they argued in court this very argument. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. You know, that's the way it's what we were brought up seeing that. That's all we knew. It's a natural consequence of our environment. It's a scary principle, which, by the way, one of the proofs against Determinism, one of the proofs for free will, is the notion of reward and punishment. A reward and punishment in this world. Otherwise, why would you reward and punish people if it's not, nothing's their fault or well done because they're just a consequence of their parents? And moreover, why would Hashem reward and punish? And since the Torah says that Hashem will reward and punish us for our actions, thereby that will only make sense if we have genuinely free will. If we didn't have free will, why reward and punish us? Moreover, moreover, Hashem himself says in, in Deuteronomy, I'm put life and death in front of you. You should choose life. God uses the word choose. He, he tells us in the Bible that we absolutely have choice. And you know, for me, the greatest evidence and proof, it's that time when you know yourself, that self-awareness, when you can go into your emotions in your mind and you, and please catch yourself next time you do it. 
when you're like oscillating between good and bad. Maybe some of you are thinking now, oh, should I turn it off? Can't really bother to watch for a bit of net, um, to watch some anything else tonight, Netflix. Or mm, your Yitzha Tov is saying no. I, I didn't I didn't expect to be, you know, thinking there's a share, but actually I've got nothing else to do over the next half an hour, so Lama La, it's probably a good thing. Hashem will be happy. It could, you know, I could fulfill that big, huge mitzvah in the Torah. You know, we taught when we learn Torah, we're becoming one with Hashem. You're fusing with Hashem. So maybe, maybe some of you right now are thinking, should I like turn it off or should I stay on? Should I when you have that moment where you could literally do one of two things, you know you have free will. You absolutely know. Think about it. Because in my life, for example, and as I said to you, some of you before, I've, you know, thank God I never smoked, don't do drugs. But I do Coke, not that kind of Coke, but, but kind of the one in the red tin. And as some of you know, on my journey with trying to get rid of my Coca-Cola addiction, not the Coke addiction, but the Coca-Cola addiction, I do go through some phases where I'm able to say no more, Rabbi Hill. It gives me headaches. It gives me teeth problems. It makes me bigger than I should be. Give it up. But then when I'm tired and fatigued, I just can't stop myself going to it. So maybe I've had like, maybe I've got up to like two weeks when I've gone off the coke. But then I go back on it again and that just shows, and, and here's the thing, what the determinants will say on a Monday afternoon, if you have the certain same food for lunch, then really when you get back from work on a Monday afternoon, like pre-corona when you did get back home from work, then you'll walk in doing the same act of ethics because we're just a sense of consequence of your nature and your nurture and the food and the environment. But we know that not to be true because you know that sometimes you can come in at five o'clock after work. You know, you've got my dear Ollie there, if he's still there. Sometimes he'll come in from after work and you'll be full of the joys of spring on the same day, on a Monday. We've had the same lunch and you've had the same breakfast, but yet sometimes you're in a great mood and sometimes you're in a sad mood. Sometimes you're really full of patience and you're full of tranquility and full of inspiration and sometimes you're really not. And therefore the same ordeal, you can fail or succeed at the same day, at the same time. Why? Because, my dear friends, we have free will. So Rabbi Desta writes, one of the greatest proofs for free will is your inner world understanding how you tick, understanding that you stand at the precipice, at a crossroads of doing either good acts or bad acts and just catch yourself when you could go one of two ways and then empower yourself. Wow, I can genuinely do good and therefore, yeah, I'm gonna do good. And then it's yours forever. You know, the Ramchal explains, that's the whole reason, my dear friends, why Hashem made the world. Hashem made the world not that you can go and watch, you know, Man City tonight. That's not why Hashem has made the world. Hashem hasn't made the world you can make money. Hashem hasn't made the world that you can go off to Dubai right now and have a good time. That's not the reason per se why Hashem has made the world. Hashem has made the world so you can earn your oneness with Hashem through free will. You can become godly and do good because you have free will. If you didn't have free will, there would be zero points in the world. Explains with Sadia gone. So Rav Sajjogon explains the whole reason of creation can only be understood if there's free will. If you didn't have free will, there would be zero point why Hashem made the world. Because Hashem has made the world to give you and me and mankind the opportunity to choose good. And therefore, when you choose good, it's real, 
it's genuine and then the reward is beautiful. In Kabbalah we say, if we didn't have free will then you'd be rewarded, it would be like bread of shame. Namatakisufa said to avoid bread of shame, we are given free will because then we can earn our oneness because then we can genuinely look in Hashem's face and say, wow, Hashem, I could have been really bad. I could have been really selfish. I could have been really egotistical. And sometimes I was, but, but overall, thank God I did good. And therefore you're going to feel you deserve to be part of God's circle. You deserve to become one with Hashem because you genuinely activated like Hashem. So that is how it works. And now I want to quote with you a little bit of the Rambam. If any of you wants to check it out. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching. I'm really excited that you're all here with me. And if you want, if you've got um, another computer screen, which I know is now off, but if you want to turn it on and go to Chabad.org and look in where it says the Rambam, Maimonides, the laws of Tshuva, chapter five, have a little butchers, as we say in the East End, at this. Says the Rambam, the following, that Rishus L'chol Adam, every man is given free will. Says the Rambam's kind of, absolutely says it categorically. But here's the thing. If you want to desire to the path of good and righteous, the choice is yours. But if you want to go, God forbid, towards the path of evil and wicked, the choice is meaning, my dear friends, listen up, your free will isn't about what food you're going to eat tonight. That Bethesda will let the biologists say that's essentially a lot of nature and nurture. Maybe. It's irrelevant. What colour you like. What even type of job you might like. That's not necessarily your free will. Your free will, explains the Rambam, is in areas of ethics, tafke, in areas of morality, in areas of being good and bad. If you're patient or not, that's free will. So even if someone's born with a lot of patience and they have parents who are patient, on their level, they're still going to be an opportunity to be impatient or not, as we're going to see soon. There'll be a scale, there'll be a spectrum. So any areas of spirituality, that's your choice. And your day, you need to start looking at your day in terms of the critical free will parts of the day. So if you've got like you're doing some, a project at work, probably most of that, that's not the critical moments of the day. The critical moments of the day will be maybe at work. Are you going to be patient? Are you going to be kind? Are you going to gossip? Are you going to get angry? Are you going to be lazy? Are you going to give charity? Are you, are you going to be compassionate? Those are the moments. You're going to be nice to your parents. These are the moments of free will. These are your core moments of itself. That's where your free will is. It's an area of ethics. It's an area of good or bad. As the, the Talmud puts it, if you're wealthy or not, that's not your free will. Sorry. Some people, that's their mazal. Some people, it's not their mazal. Some people, you know, they work very, very hard and they succeed financially. And some people work just as hard, even not more hard. And nothing happens. Why? Because that's not within your free will, actually. We believe in Kabbalah, how much you're going to earn. How healthy you are. Oh my gosh. If this hasn't shown you during Corona, that we're totally at Hashem's mercy. I don't know what will. We don't have free will when it comes to whether we are going to be healthy or not. Bottom line. You know, one of the pillars of the community just now in London, a young man just got corona last week. He's already dead. Like that. Bang. He was healthy. He was fit. But Hashem said it's time to come to the next world because health isn't something we can, you have control over, actually. 
The only thing we have control over is you. And you is within your spiritual areas, your morality, your ethics. If you're going to be a good father, good son, good brother, kind, compassionate, learn Torah, give charity, pray. That's you. That's you. Those 613 mitzvot for someone who's not Jewish, the seven Noahide laws, that's their area of spirituality. And Maimonides goes on to say the following. He says, don't be fooled by those scientists and philosophers that say, we don't have free will. We're just going to, everything's determined. He says, God forbid, God forbid. And if you go through the Torah, you'll see that. And he, he, he brings my example that Hashem says, <clears throat> you should life and death in front of you, choose life. So essentially, if you want to check it out more in Maimonides, go to chapter five. He brings a lot of, of evidence for free will. One last point within free will, two more points within free will. From the great Rabbi Desla, before we get back to Paro, because we started all this, did Paro have free will? We're getting there, I haven't forgotten. Don't worry, I'll be back. So, something called Nakuda Sabahira, points of free will. This is a really critical point, everybody. Critical point. We actually don't have total free will. You know, Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Sachs used to say, we have no choice but to have free will, which is a bit of a paradox. We have no choice but to have free will, meaning we absolutely need to have free will. But the funny thing is, we actually don't have total free will. For example, you know, we don't have free will to go out and, actually some people probably can party tonight because that's just illegal. But you know, I can't go to the moon tonight I can't go and sit in a restaurant tonight. I can't. There's many things that I would normally be able to do, but now during a pandemic, I can't go. I would love to be in Israel now. Oh my gosh, I would love, 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 love to be teaching you in Israel now, but the situation means I can't. So, so I, I would love to, to, to be slim again. Maybe I can. I don't think I can do that either, right? But I'd love to have hair again. Don't think I can get that done, right? There's so much I'd love to do, um, but we can't do things that we'd love to do necessarily because we don't have total free will more than that even within ethics and spirituality so i'll let you into a bit of a secret everybody i am what's called an ffb okay what's an ffb in 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 jewish parlance we call that from from birth from the moment i was born you know my parents actually were not they were what's called a bt they were brought up not religious and then they became um observant but for me, I was brought up only ever keeping Shabbat, only ever eating kosher. So I've got news for you. If, if someone knocked on my door and said, come Rabbi, I've got a, uh, a, a free non-kosher burger for you. I've got zero desire. I've got no free will actually for me to eat non-kosher food tonight. I haven't, you know, if you'd offered me a billion pounds to go and, and drive down Golders Green Road this Shabbat, I'm gonna turn down that billion pounds because I actually don't have free will to drive in a car on Shabbat, if all things being equal, obviously if someone's very ill, then maybe Hashem wants me to, then it would be okay. But if all things being equal, I don't have free will to do many sins. So what does that mean? That means, says Rabbi Desta, that we're all playing in a certain zone. And we're all in that zone. All of us are in the same boat. We just got different boats. And, and what that means is that for me, so my Yetzirah isn't going to be go and have some pork tonight and some ham and some bacon and some 
you know, shrimps. That's not my eat. My eat isn't going to be, let's go for, for a dry Friday night on Shabbat. That's not my eat My eat is, I'm not going to tell you, none of your business, right? But my eat is other things, right? My eat is perhaps I don't concentrate in davening the way I need to concentrate in my prayers. And it's really hard sometimes because when you start really learning how to focus in, in davening, the Yitzhahara starts playing tremendous tricks and all of a sudden puts crazy distractions in, 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 into your head. You know, my Yitzhahara will be much more subtle and that's where I'm playing my game. It's a bit like you're playing PlayStation and you start off with level one and, and then when you get, get good at it, it's boring. You wouldn't even play that. You now go to level two and level three. Carla, lovely to see you. Thank you so much for joining. Right, and then you go to the higher you get, then the faster your Yitzhahara gets, and you can't even play the lower game anymore because Mesha'amen, right? It's boring, so that's the way it works. We're all fighting our Yitzhahara and Yitzhatov at the point where you are. Not at the point where you were 10 years ago or 20. By the way, if you're still having the same fight as you had 10 years, 20 years ago, that's a little bit worrying because we really life should be about growth and life should be about overcoming areas of temptation of the past and then you're getting into new more subtle more more sophisticated areas of you know if someone's playing playstation level one for like 20 years pretty sad stuff they should get a life right you know what i mean so therefore for us it is critical it is critical that we grow but then you you totally understand and acknowledge what is today's Yitzhahara, where are you fighting at the moment? And that's the game, where you are right now. And I'll go into something super deep that I learned this week, which kind of blew my mind from Rabbi Desler. And this is what he says. Listen to this. It's worth listening the whole class just to hear these couple of points now, because it's mad stuff. Mad. There's a story with Lot, right? Abraham had a nephew called Lot. And we're taught that Lot got saved from the, from the city of Sodom, which was going to be destroyed. And Lot himself got saved and Abraham went to save Lot. And the Talmud writes, why was Lot saved? And explains because Lot had a chance to dob Abraham in. What does that mean? He found out that Abraham had lied to Pharaoh, previous different Pharaoh, that Sarah, and he said Sarah was my sister, as opposed to him saying that she was my wife. And when he heard about that, he could have made a tremendous amount of money by going, say that, Abraham, not true. Sarah is actually his wife, not his sister. He could have become super wealthy, but he didn't do that. And for that, the Talmud writes, Hashem says he needs to be rewarded and needs to be saved. Ask Rabbi Desta one minute. How disgusting would that have been for him to get his father, his, his uncle killed that he loved tremendously? That would have been pretty gross. So like, surely that's not even a big deal. It's like saying to you, you know, you're walking down the road and you didn't kill, you know, the old lady and, 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 and nick her handbag. So like, well done. You didn't deal, you didn't do that. Hey, Yona, thanks for joining. And especially because as Rabbi Des Lot did some really good things. He lived in the city of Sodom, which is a very cruel, selfish city. And yet Lot actually was willing to risk his life to be hospitable and to look after guests. Now that was amazing. Surely his hospitality should have saved his life. Listen to this, this is mind blowing. Says Rabbi Desler, the reason why Hashem didn't reward Lot for looking after the guest, do you know why? Because for looking after the guest, big deal. 
He saw that from Abraham. He learned that from Abraham. Abraham had, had put it into his blood, had nurtured him. That, he, that for him was the norm. That for him was the norm. Things which for you are the norm aren't necessarily going to be your free will spiritual areas. That actually wasn't within his free will. Abraham almost robotically made him into a giver and to be kind. For him, that he loved money tremendously and was super greedy. On his level, ironically, he really did have a Yitzhara. He had that moment of, of hearing both voices. Wow, I can make a lot of money by telling on my uncle. And then he was able to succumb. He was able to overcome that lower self and able to win. Hashem rewards you for that, which means now let's look in our lives. This is mad stuff. Look in your life. I've got news for you. A lot of the good things you've done might not necessarily be your big rewards in the next world at all. If they're, if they're things that come very easy to you, things that maybe you saw from your parents, things that just are really super duper natural, <clears throat> Rav Desler says, do it and that's good and keep going with that. But that's not going to be the making of you. The making of you, everybody, is those areas of conflict. The areas where you fight. The areas where you have Achilles heel, where it brings you down and you have this like nagging voice which is trying to bring you down and, and, and you're struggling. That's you. And when you do mitzvahs in that area, <clears throat> wow, that's a huge world to come. That's those moments. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that deep? Again, so the things you find super natural, super easy, keep doing them. But don't feel that you're okay because of them. Don't, hey, I've got this huge now big world to come because I've done some like, you know, nice things. Mm -mm. Combat your devil in you. Fight your, you know, your enemy. Fight that enemy within. Fight that really strong nagging voice which is bringing you down and, and go to war on that because if you can and if you win, that will be the making of you tremendously, which is really deep and really beautiful. And then the beautiful thing is, I had a student, for example, that I've been really blessed that thousands of my students, I've watched them become balichuva, become go from a, a life where they're very, very secular and then watch them amazingly find the strength to go and, and start keeping all the mitzvah. So I had this one student in particular who said to me, Rabbi, you know, I can learn Torah, I can do tefillin, I can do Shabbat, but kosher, forget about it. I can't do kosher, it's too hard, too hard, too hard. Like, I need, what am I going to do my holidays? Like, there's some amazing non-kosher, that's kind of my lifestyle, those non-kosher restaurants ain't going to happen. So A, what we say to him is, okay, don't worry about it, just do the other things. And then B, what we say is, okay, B, you don't have to be like, turn crazy kosher overnight, but just like one step at a time, maybe stop the shrimps and the shellfish and the prawns. And then once you've done that for a, a while, then try and stop the non-kosher meat. And then once you've done that for a while, stop the non-kosher chicken. And, and build it up. And what was really cool is he built it up and then he got to a place where he's keeping kosher. And what was crazy was after about six weeks of him keeping full kosher, he turned to me and says, Rabbi, I've got zero desire not to have non-kosher anymore. That desire like evaporated. And, he, and then when he had his summer holiday, it was, it was super easy because the desire had gone, which is mad, which is when you can make normal, make it the new norm, that spiritual level, so whatever it may be, you know, 
you start praying every day. You start praying every day, you do it for 40 days in a row, bang, hopefully it becomes your new norm. You start giving charity and really you should be giving charity every day, even a few coins just before you pray, that can become the new norm. You know, changing your habits when you're doing it every day, habitually, it will get to a place where the Yitzhahara will leave you alone and then you're ready to go to the next level. So that, my dear friends, is the area of, of Nakura Sabahira. Now let's go back to Pharaoh. Are we ready? Let's answer the question. We asked the question, how can Hashem take away Paro's free will and then on top of that, punish him for something that wasn't his fault? How do we understand that? Big question. So let's have a look. M many, many, many sages talk about it. I'll give you a few commentators now. There's a big argument amongst the great rabbis about this. And then at the end, I'm going to try and give a, a Rabbi Hill solution. And the, and the big debate is the following. Did God actually take away his free will and withdraw his opportunity to repent or not? So Rashi and Maimonides, if you, if, you, if you still got your Maimonides with you, have a look at chapter six. You know, in chapter six, law number three, he, he says it very, very, very clearly. The way the Raman puts it is the following. He says, some people are so wicked, so wicked. And Paro was one of them. Let's understand who this Pharaoh was. Pharaoh, who, by the way, Kabbalistically doesn't just mean Pharaoh himself. Parod actually refers to, you know, if it's the acronym of, of the word neck in Hebrew. It's being stiff-necked. It's stubbornness. It's also paroah, which means to reveal evil, to, to reveal negativity. Paro's job was to almost be the, the Yetzirah for the world. And that's why he himself said, I, I'm God. In other words, he, he, he himself tried to, we say, and Paro says, nah, there's no such thing as a God. There's many gods and I'm one of them. So Paro was the one who opened up the Jewish people's eyes to idolatry and to sin. And succeeded, unfortunately. And so he was this very, very wicked, narcissistic sociopath who then, at the end of plague number one, and plague number two, and three, and four, and five, the Bible says he hardened his own heart. In other words, what was Paro's free will? His free will was, there's plagues, and you got this guy Moses, and they're doing miracles, I don't care. Loch Batli. The, the Jewish people, they're staying, I know best, and he wouldn't listen to reason. Wouldn't listen to reason. Wouldn't listen to reason. Says the Rambam, you now don't deserve free will, mate. Bang. Free will is a, is, a, is a privilege. It's not something where you should be entitled to 24-7, irrespective of our actions. A certain point, maybe in Adolf Hitler's life, maybe he didn't deserve to have free will anymore. Maybe Hashem did withdraw free will from Adolf Hitler. And we're taught that the most wicked people of all, there could be a time when Hashem is going to withdraw tshuva. He's going to withdraw free will. And it serves them right. And then he's going to keep them alive just to teach people a lesson. So the Rambam writes, Maimonides writes, Hashem kept him alive just so we can get to the 10 plagues. Really, he was going to give up after plague number six. He'd had enough. And Hashem said, no, you don't deserve free will anymore. We're going to keep you alive to teach the world a lesson. We're going to get to the concept of the 10 plagues. Last, last week, we learned it's actually getting rid of the klipot of the 10 spherot, each of the 10 channels, spiritual channels have it has a negative shell around it. Each of the plagues was getting rid of those shells. Like right now, I believe coronavirus is, is should be, if we're learning lessons, trying to 
Get rid of shells, get rid of peels, get rid of ego, get rid of cruelty, get rid of divisiveness, get, get rid of belief in the self. There's so many amazing lessons we're meant to be learned from this. I shudder if we're actually learning them. But thank God in the time of Egypt, at least the Jewish people did learn the lessons from the 10 plagues. And then by then we were ready to leave, we were ready for redemption. But Maimonides says, yes, he had his free will taken away and Rashi agrees with him and the first opinion of the Nachmanides and it serves him right. That's opinion number one. His free will was taken away, serves him right, justice. Opinion number two from the Sephornu, the other extreme. Hashem doesn't take away free will. Shiva is open to all of us at any time. And actually, the hardening of his heart, you see the Bible itself doesn't say he took away his free will, does it? It doesn't say, It says, What does that mean, he hardened his heart? What it means is, listen up. What it means, says the Sephorno. Any of you ever had like a migraine and you've taken some migraine tablets? Like a big pain and then you've taken the painkiller to stop the pain? Amazingly, says the great Ravadiya Hasafa, the Sephorno, Hashem gave him a painkiller. He had these crazy plagues causing him tremendous pain. Tremendous pain. And Hashem said, you know what? I want you genuinely to decide, Pharaoh. Am I God or are you God? Are the, are the Jewish people yours or mine? You decide. So you know what? The pain is so unbearable. I'm going to give you some fantastic neurofit. The best Neurofen ever, Neurofen plus, 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 which is going to stop you feeling the pain and then enable you to make your own decision. Isn't that amazing? It was rather an anesthetic. It was rather a painkiller than he took away his free will. Think about it. So what we're saying is this other extreme is Hashem didn't take away his free will. On the contrary, he's giving him free will. He's enabling him to have free will. He's allowing Paro not to be distracted and, and surrendering to the pain of the plagues, he's enabling Paro to genuinely make a free will decision. That's the other extreme. But there's a place in the middle which I think we can unite both positions. And it goes, it goes like this. It goes like this. What Hashem said to Paro is what he says to us. Be really careful of the decisions you make. This is something we need to take to heart, everyone. Sometimes we'll make decisions. Decisions have consequences. God forbid someone wants to jump out the window. If on the way down they change their mind, it's too late. When Pharaoh made the decision, I want to be stubborn. I want to be stiff-necked. I'm going to ignore all the signs. I'm going to ignore all the signs. I'm going to ignore all the signs. The Jewish people are staying. They're mine, they're mine, they're mine. With plague one, two, three, four, five. He is now jumped out the window spiritually. He has now gone down this waterfall. And now you can't change your mind. Well, any of you done that? Or you go down a waterfall and then halfway down, like, oh my gosh, I changed my mind. Too late. Too late. Too late. It was too late for him to change his mind because he'd gone down this heretical path of heathenness and he couldn't get out because he was now bearing the consequences 
of his choices. And therefore, it's not unfair that he was given free will. On the contrary, it comes from his free will. It was the free will of Pharaoh that got him to the place where his heart became hardened. Because that's what he wanted more than anything. I want my heart to be hardened. I want. The Talmud in Makot says, the pathway that man wants to go, Hashem helps you down that path. That's scary, everybody. That means we've got no one else to blame but ourselves. It's our choices that get us into a negative spiritual spiral. Now, what that means is the following. Let's be empowered to be so careful not to, on one hand, go down negative routes. Sometimes you can get close to a group of friends, but you know these friends are going to bring you down. They're going to bring the worst out of you. They're going to get you into toxic situations, to trauma. And then, God forbid, you could be so entrenched and so entangled, you won't be able to get out even when you want to get out. So don't start going down that water slide. Don't jump out the window because there's no way back. And therefore, we have to learn. And then, by the way, conversely, it's beautiful as well. It also works the other way. You can start making really good decisions to, to connect yourself to really ethical, spiritual, moral, higher people and, and really engross yourself. And then, and then it's almost hard for the Yitzhahara to get out of it the other way. Or to put the, uh, another expression the Talmud says, and this is really beautiful. Someone who wants to purify themselves. Hashem gives them si'ah, he gives them help. Someone who wants to make themselves impure, Hashem opens that opening up, which means the following. We have free will. And if you want to do something really bad tonight, Hashem is not going to stop you. In fact, if you really want to do it, Hashem is going to allow you to do it. He's not going to stop you. He'll open the door for you to do it. But if you want to do something good, Hashem will take your hands and say, boy, lie, come with me. Let's do this together. And before you know it, you're doing a hundred amazing good things. You're flying. And as we flew out of Egypt, what's called and it's a beautiful thing. And therefore, just be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you chose. You know what? You're not your Yitzhara. You're not your lower self. You're not your higher self. Do you know what you are? Your choices. So make sure you choose well, because that's all we are. All we are is our choices. So make sure we choose well. Just one last thought about free will. And then I want to finish off with one other idea. Rabbi Dessler says, and this is again somewhat ironic, that the goal of free will is to lose your free will. What does that mean? You know, as we said, it shouldn't be that you're walking down the street and you see the old lady with um, a handbag and you're thinking, hmm, I could do with some money. No one's around. Let's see if I can grab the handbag. I really hope that none of you, that's your Yitzhara. If it is, please speak to me later. We need, you need help. So for most normal people, Baruch Hashem, that's not their Yitzhara. It shouldn't be your Yitzhara. You go into a shop and you're thinking, oh, the shopkeeper's not looking. Let's steal. That, I would hope, shouldn't be your Yitzhara. You shouldn't be interested. There's no... You know, my, my amazing father, my amazing father, who some of you know, passed away a few months ago. In my 49 years of my life, I never heard him speak Lashon Hara. For him, he didn't have free will to speak Lashon Hara. He just had zero interest. He wasn't interested in speaking Lashon Hara. It was like, it was, it was evil. It was toxic for him. It was like poison. I'm not going to put poison in my mouth. I'm not going to put poison in my mouth. 
And therefore, says Rav Dessler, the goal, my dear friends, is to get to a place where each of the 613 mitzvot, every act of ethics and morality should be a place of inevitability that you're going to do good. It's not good for us to have this kind of um, debate, shall I, shan't I? That's kind of a lower level. The goal is to get to places when you're not having that debate. It's you're just in tune. You're flowing with Hashem. And he uses two expressions. Rav Desli uses expression number one. You should be compelled to do good. That's the goal. Like the Tzadikim, the Avot, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moshe Rabbeinu. They were so in tune with Hashem that their body knew what was right. There was almost only going one way. They were just flowing in Hashem's direction. It was, it was almost, it was obvious. They were, they were literally physically pulled to do the right thing. On their level, they have these few moments of their own free will, like Moshe with hitting the rock and a few other areas. But generally in their lives, they were so in tune with Hashem that they'd managed to kind of turn off their Yitzhahara. And that's almost the goal. And therefore, if Destin says on one hand, try and get to a place of, of compulsion, you just want to do mitzvot because you're compelled. And then he writes the highest level. You want to do mitzvot because you love Hashem so much. You have so much love for Hashem. So just imagine the person you love most in your, in, in your life, that you want to please that person. And it, hopefully if that person asks for help, you know, it's not a, like for me, like my mom's now got a vaccine tomorrow. She's going to have a vaccine. She needs a lift. It's not even a question not to take her. It's like obvious, you know, it's, Absolute pleasure. And, and it's not, but it's not a question. It's not like, hmm, can't really be bothered to take her. Shall I? It's a big, you know, merit that I can do the mitzvah of Dava Eim and I love her and she needs it. It's, it's not even a question. The goal should be that all the mitzvah we do, before you go to sleep, if you haven't said the Shema tonight, of course I need to say the Shema. You know, you have an opportunity where there's Lashon Hara, of course I'm not going to speak bad. You have an opportunity to help a friend, of course I'm going to help them. The goal is, and, and it should be because of love, because you love Hashem so much. You love your brothers and sisters so much that that love inspires you and motivates you to do it, that you don't even have that debate with the Yitzhahara. Isn't that beautiful, everyone? So the goal is to almost avert and, 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 and avoid the debate in your mind. So again, when that debate comes, you've got to try and win. But where you're heading is to a world without debate, a world where you're just in tune with the flow of what Hashem wants, doing the right thing. Let me just finish off. Uh, say, Yonah's asked the question, how come sometimes it's difficult to execute good things, like when you want to do a certain mitzvah? Right, so, yeah, good question, Yonah, but that, that, there's two issues to that, right? So there's sometimes the obstacle comes from within, and that's because that's your Achilles heel. That's what you're here in this world to do, is the Arizal says, everyone has a tikkun. It's normally because of past lives. Because of past lives, for example, someone who has a terrible temper. Most mystics say, you probably had that terrible temper in a previous life. And that's why you've got it in this life, and you've got to combat it. And it's going to be so hard to get rid of it, but that's the job. And, and you, you get rid of it by chiseling, chiseling away, chiseling, chiseling away, chiseling away. And also you get rid of it by, because you have such love for Hashem and Hashem hates it when there's anger. It's so someone who's angry, is tantamount to idolatry, then hopefully that's the way to win. But then, you know, Rabbi Nachman talks a lot about the idea that some obstacles, which are called mini-ot, come outside. So for example, 
You're on your way to a mitzvah. Things are getting in the way. Okay, so that's Hashem. That's Hashem testing you. Normally, the higher you go, the high, like those real big moments of spirituality, it's not going to be easy, I can assure you. You're going to have eternity as a result of it. It's not going to come easy. It's going to come through tremendous obstacles. And then you've got to somehow, you like hang in there. You say, Hashem, I need your help to get through these mini arts. Come on, let's get through these mini arts. And then with prayer, with Psalms, with Tilim, with Emunah, you can get through those, those, those obstacles by, through Emunah. Emunah is the way to get through the obstacles, I believe. Uh, okay, listen up. I want to finish off with one beautiful idea which rocked my boat, which literally, ne- ne- or a different metaphor, nearly made me fall off my chair. So hopefully you're not sitting on too much of a high place that you could injure yourself as a result of this. And I'm just going to finish off as my last little... Shabbat present for you, and it's the most amazing bit of Torah from from the Kedushas Levi, Rebbe Yitzchok Beditchev, the Beditchevah. Listen to how deep it is. He says the following. He says that in this week's parasha, we talked about the plague of darkness, and we taught that the darkness came, and the Egyptians got into such a place. That, by the way, it was so dark in the end, they couldn't even move. They were paralyzed with darkness. That's how thick the darkness was. And yet, it says for the Jewish people, there was light. That's what the Bible says. For the Jewish people, there was light. So the question is, why does it not say, for the Jewish people, there was no darkness? The Egyptians had darkness, and the Jewish people didn't have darkness. What does it mean? And the Jewish people had light. Says the Kedushas Levi, from, based on Kabbalah, listen to this. It's because when Hashem sent down darkness, there wasn't this switch in heaven called darkness. I'm going to bring down this light blackness Mm-mm. the mystics explain Hashem sent down light he sent down this very very bright beautiful light I believe possibly the light that the Oraganos, the hidden light that Hashem stored away for the Tzadikim in the world to come he let, a, he let a bit that light come out and because the Egyptian society didn't have the vessels to receive that light for them they, they shattered and for them it was total darkness too bright, and it came out in darkness. But for now, the Jewish people who now had the emunah, and now were holding on to the coattails of Moshe Rabbeinu, and now were keeping some of the mitzvot, they had the vessels to receive that light. So says the Kedush Levi, the darkness wasn't this switch called darkness, it was only light. But when you don't know how to receive that light, when you don't know how to be a vessel for that light, it's going to break you. But when you are a vessel, it's going to make you. And I just want to finish off with this. I think sometimes in life, think about the times in your life, maybe you've gone through a bit of a trauma, you've gone through a bit of a, a breakup, you've, got, you've gone through where almost you feel things just got very broken. The way we'll understand this Kabbalistically, it's not that God was punishing you or bringing down evil. God forbid, it says in the prophets, there's no evil that comes down from, from, from above. There's no evil, God is only good. So Hashem is sending down good and sending down light. The problem is sometimes we're not able to receive that light because our vessel's not strong enough. So ironically, sometimes, that's when you're doing really well in certain areas, and it's like, it's, like, it's like a suitcase. If you have too much in the suitcase, but your suitcase isn't strong enough, what's happened to me on some of our holiday trips, sometimes the suitcase just like breaks at the airport. And if you happen to that, and sometimes in my life, Probably I was, you know, for whatever reason, Hashem decided all the mitzvot you're doing, Rabbi Hill, your vessel's not strong enough. Bang, crash. 
broken at the airport, now you've got to start building up again. But I think it's a beautiful way to look at it. It's not that God's punishing us, it's giving us an opportunity to, to rebuild our vessel. And when you understand that that's the way it works, meaning spend your life trying to build your vessel, spend for Hashem, spend your life, and the way you do that says in the end of Pirkei Avot, Hashem wants to confirm merit. He wants to love you. He wants to give to you. So how does he give to you? That's why he gives us so many mitzvot. Some people say, Rabbi, why is it so many mitzvot? Maybe like, couldn't we just have 10, like the Ten Commandments? We need another 603. They get shocked. Some people say to me, you sure the 613? Like, you sure, Rabbi? You sure? Like, I thought there was just 10. Got news for you. They are 613. But they're 613 because Hashem loves us so much. He wants us to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to, to build, to love Hashem and to fill our vessel and to strengthen our vessel. Because the more we strengthen our vessel, we can receive light. So tonight, for those who have stayed with me for the past 60 minutes, and if you only got here in the last few minutes, we're now on YouTube. So the next morning we put it on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, J Network. Please, by the way, subscribe to our YouTube channel because we want to start building it now it's an opportunity for you to listen we've got your all the talks from Bereshit is is now there and when you spend 60 minutes learning Torah one thing I promise you your vessel's stronger wow your vessel and then you can receive more of Hashem's light and that's the way it goes every time you do kindness you're you're, you're building your vessel every time you pray you're building your vessel every time you express the Munah you're building your vessel and that's what it's about it's about building your vessel so then, God forbid, what comes out isn't darkness, but is that you can see Hashem's light even in the tough times. So I wish you well. Thank you so, so much for listening. Anybody got any questions? Happy to take questions if you have questions. Thanks for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. Anybody? Say a lot for me. Anybody? Any questions? Awesome, thanks, my dear friend. What's your name? I've got Mashiach now 2020. What's your name, Mashiach now 2020? Is your name Elijah or is your name King David? Like, give me your name, then I can say, nice to see you. Thank you for taking notes. Leah, you stayed with me from the beginning. You were the first one to say hello, and then, and, and then that's awesome, unless you've been doing something else for like an hour, and you're just like saying hello, and bye. that will be benefit the doubt. So I'm sure you've been with me. Did I just see Anita there? I'm seeing like Anita's face just like, Ollie, how was that? Was that all right, Ollie? You happy? Was it a good use of, of, of your hour? <laughs> I hope it was. Thank you, Batsheva, and a huge mazel tov to you. It was a beautiful um, Zoom event, and, and I couldn't be for most of it because I was giving the share, but huge mazel tov for you, Batsheva. And so um, what does that mean, Lair? No, you weren't with me, or no, you were with me? Ollie, how, how, how's the baby now? We're good? Did we put the baby to sleep? I hope I wasn't too boring. Um, Anita, I was waiting for Anita. How are you, Anita? Did you enjoy that, Anita? Isn't that amazing, that last part? Crazy. That, that actually the plague of darkness wasn't darkness, it was just light. They didn't know how to receive and what that means in life. That means maybe times something like the Holocaust, there was actually tremendous light, but it was just the, the vessels was so broken of everybody. It was everything just collapsed. But it wasn't that, you know, God sent down the... Um, course she's not boring because you and your wife aren't boring right it's i just think sometimes in life when it's like now coronavirus it might not be that hashem is sending down evil i think the way we understand hashem is sending down tremendous love and light but because 
we're in a place of brokenness, unfortunately, we don't know how to receive that light. And therefore, the way to do it is to build the vessel to thus receive the light. Or you should have lots of nachat, lots of nachas from, from your... Uh... Tali, you can't just join me now. I hope you haven't joined me now, Taz, because I've just kind of finished. So if you just join me now, go back and listen to the talk. So I'll give it a wave to my dear friend Talia. And it's amazing to see you. God, why is it so hard to wave? Here we go. Uh, we wave to Tal's. Yeah, anyone else? Any other questions? Ollie, come on. So go on, Ollie, you can share with us. What is your big free will um, challenge? You want to share, Oz? Come on. I could again bring you on camera if you want. Or anyone want to share? This is what you've got to think about. Where is your free will areas? And by the way, if it is in certain like emotional areas, what we do in our coaching is we try and coach you to overcome those big challenges. So let's say, you know... You want to diet, right? So we give you the techniques of how to do that. You know, you want to be kinder, give you the technique. You've got a certain toxic relationship. You know, whatever that challenge is, techniques are needed to create new, better habits so then the Sahara doesn't harm you on that anymore. Anyway, I'm going to love and leave you. Please God, I'll see you next Wednesday night. I'm going to start a new course, Kabbalah of Love number two. And, and sure you can, Raf. Sure you can. Um, do you want me to bring you on camera, Rafael? You happy? To, just if I press bring you on camera and you're not ready, then it'll be embarrassing someone in public. So um, you absolutely can dive in front of a picture of the Kosel, and I often do. In fact, I've got a Kosel right in front of me right now. Why wasn't Yosef one of the others? Um, good question. Good question. You know, you could ask that about King David as well. But in a way, Yosef was, and according to some, in fact, he was meant to have 12 tribes also. But because he sinned with Potiphar's wife and just 10 drops of semen came out of his fingers, says the fingernail, says Kabbalah, he got punished with not having 10 of his, the 12 and he only had two. Um, but he's, you know, it's about the Ovot, he, he's... He's one of the Sfirot, for crying out loud, right? You have Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, but then you have Moshe Aaron, Yosef David. So Joseph, he's one of the Sfirot, he's Yusod. So he's doing fine. He's doing fine. But, you know, the Avot, they're meant to be just three. You're just meant to have three, which is really the the Chochmah, the, the Chesed Gevorah Tiferes. It's already, if you want to know the real spiritual Kabbalistic answer of all, it's connected to the Kabbalistic um, Sfirot, is the answer. Any other questions? Happy to take a few questions? Or I'm happy to go. Any questions? I'll take that as a no. So I wish you tremendous hatzlaf, everybody. But you can always be in touch with me. And you can send me questions 24-7 on my Facebook, on my now Instagram. Looking forward to seeing you soon, everybody. God bless. Bye.